Welcome to day two of ACR 2021. I am Professor Grace Wright, consultant rheumatologist in New York City, and I'll be taking you through some of the key talks and posters presented at the meeting today. I've chosen three abstracts and the large number of RA relevant clinical presentations, which I think deserve a closer look. First of all, a three-year study de described by Fleischmann and their associates described the clinical outcomes of RA patients switched from methotrexate to either upadacitinib, adalimumab, or a placebo. It is interesting to see data from long-term studies of newer monotherapies. Is this gonna help us make informed decisions on clinical options for patients who do not tolerate methotrexate? This is abstract 0828 presented on Sunday, long-term safety and efficacy of upadacitinib or adalimumab in patients with rheumatoid arthritis results at three years from the select compare study. So to assess long-term safety and efficacy of UPA versus adalimumab over three years in the long-term extension of select compare, 1,629 patients receiving background methotrexate were randomized to UPA 15 milligrams once daily, placebo, or adalimumab 40 milligrams every other week. Between week 14 to 26, rescue was mandated for lack of response or failure to achieve targeted disease outcome. Our key results are that a higher proportion of UPA patients completed three years without rescue compared to adalimumab. UPA was generally well-tolerated, with adverse events of special interest event rates were generally comparable between UPA and ADA, while herpes zoster, lymphopenia, hepatic disorder, and CPK elevation were reported at higher rates with UPA. Consistent with earlier time points, greater proportions on UPA achieved low disease activity and remission at three years based on CDI as well as DAS-28 CRP using the thresholds of less than 3.2 or less, or less than 2.6 compared with adalimumab. So in summary, higher levels of clinical response continue to be observed with UPA versus adalimumab through three years of treatment and the safety profile was consistent. Moving away from trial data to a real world clinical study, Witt and colleagues described the results of a six-month post-marketing study of 276 RA patients treated with upadacitinib monotherapy or in combination with methotrexate in clinical practices. Disease activity and patient-reported outcomes from RA patients visiting clinics were presented. This is abstract 0833 presented on Sunday effectiveness of upadacitinib in patients with rheumatoid arthritis in German real-world practice, interim results from a post-marketing observational study. So data on the use of UPA in real-world clinical practice are limited. The UPWARD study is an ongoing prospective post-marketing study to investigate effectiveness and safety of UPA monotherapy or in combination with methotrexate in RA patients in German clinical practice. Key results here are that of the 276 patients with six-month data, 25.4% and 74.6% achieved CDI remission and low disease activity, respectively. The percentage achieving any definition of low disease activity or remission at six months was similar among those treated with upamonotherapy, 
that is 72.9%, or UPA plus methotrexate, that's 74.1%. Of note, the remission and low disease activity metrics included uh, C-Day, S-Day, as well as Boolean remission. Disease activity and patient-reported outcomes improved within the first six months. And the safety profile was consistent with that seen in the phase three trials with no new safety signals. So in summary, consistent with clinical data, the interim results from this study suggest UPA as mono or combination therapy is associated with a favorable profile in real-world RA patients. The final pick in this section was from Idberg and their team who cited, uh, conducted a randomized safety trial to assess the risk of tofacitinib and TNF inhibitors on major adverse cardiovascular events and malignancies. All patients involved were aged 50 or over with one or more pre-existing cardiovascular risk factors and incidence rates of major adverse cardiovascular events and malignancies were presented and demographical risk factors were defined. This is abstract 0831 presented on Sunday, safety and efficacy of tofacitinib versus TNF inhibitors in RA patients aged 50 years or older with one or more cardiovascular risks results from a phase 3B4 randomized safety trial. So oral surveillance was mandated by the US FDA to assess the relative risk of TOFA versus TNF inhibitors based on observed increases in lipids and malignancies in RA patients following tofacitinib. This analysis compared MACE and malignancy risk in moderate to severe RA aged 50 years or older with at least one additional CV risk factor. The key results are that for MACE and malignancies, primary assessments were not met for TOFA doses combined versus TNF inhibitors. Incidence rates for MACE and malignancies were numerically higher for TOFA versus TNF inhibitors. Most MACE and malignancies occurred in patients aged 65 or older or had ever smoked. Adverse events of special interest, incidence rates were numerically higher with TOFA versus tofacitinib, and efficacy was similar across treatment arms. Number needed to harm for TOFA 5 or 10 milligrams twice daily versus TNF inhibitors were 567 compared to 319 for MACE and 276 versus 275 for malignancy. So in summary, patients most at risk were aged 65 years or older, or had a history of ever smoking. There were a number of interesting posters today which described the utility of patient-reported outcome data. I have chosen to highlight three studies across three different indications. The first study I'll focus on featured a post-hoc analysis of three phase three baricitinib trials in RA patients. Strand and their team examined the importance of patient-reported outcomes for assessing changes in disease activity and quality of life. They investigated the influence of various factors on the patient global assessment of disease activity and determined whether the degree of influence was affected by the disease status of the patient. This is abstract 0741 presented on Sunday, assessing the relationship of patient global assessment of disease activity and health-related quality of life by SF36 
with other patient-reported outcomes in rheumatoid arthritis, post-hoc analysis of data from phase three trials of baricitinib. This analysis used data from three phase three baricitinib studies. It's RA-BEAM, RA-BEGIN, and RA-BEACON. To examine the relative importance of PROs on patient global and health-related quality of life, and whether these differ in patients with good disease control compared with those not in low disease activity or remission in different patient populations. So the key results were that pain strongly correlated with patient global, facet F moderately correlated with patient global, uh, PCS and MCS scores, and HACDI moderately to strongly correlated with patient global and PCS score. In regression analyses, the most significant factors were pain with patient global, HACDI with SF36 PCS score, and facet F with SF36 MCS score. Similar results were observed in patients in low disease activity, remission, or non-response. So in summary, these results confirm prior findings, such as high correlations of pain with patient global and relationships between other PRO scores were stable across time. Another abstract featured patient reported outcome data from four patients with active refractory juvenile dermatomyositis enrolled in a program of compassionate use of baricitinib. Kim and colleagues presented the findings from patients' assessments of disability and physical function-related quality of life. This is abstract 0773 presented on Sunday, Janos kinase or JAK inhibition with baricitinib, dosing and patient-reported outcomes in refractory juvenile dermatomyositis. So JDM or juvenile dermatomyositis is a systemic autoimmune disease with a prominent interferon signature. A compassionate use program assists baricitinib in active refractory JDM and demonstrated efficacy at 24 weeks. This analysis reports patient reported outcomes and dosing with extended follow-up to 72 weeks or longer in four patients. The key results are that at 72 weeks, the daily diary score or DDS changed from a mean of 2.0 over out of 4.0 for patient parent to 0.4 with a p-value of less than 0.01. And patient global decreased from a mean of 5.90 slash 10 to 1.7 with a p-value of less than 0.01. Other results indicated less disability and improved physical function-related quality of life. Baricitinib was generally well-tolerated and there were no serious adverse events or those requiring discontinuation. Dose adjustments were made based on renal function, safety, and or efficacy in three patients. So in summary, these PRO data in four patients with refractory juvenile dermatomyositis show continued improvement in symptoms with baricitinib. The final abstract in this topic was from the team of Gossett who examined the relationships between clinical measurements and patient reported outcomes in a phase two trial of ducravacitinib for 203 patients with active psoriatic arthritis. They investigated correlations between psoriatic arthritis, impact of disease questionnaires, clinical measurements, and other patient-reported outcomes. 
They also demonstrated the additional patient health improvements found via the PSET questionnaires, which would not have been revealed by clinical measurements and other PROs. This is abstract 0750 presented on Sunday. Effect of ducravacitinib on the psoriatic arthritis impact of disease questionnaires 12 and 9. Analysis of a phase two study of active psoriatic arthritis. So 203 patients with active PSA were randomized to ducravacitinib 6 milligrams or 12 milligrams once daily or placebo for 16 weeks in a phase two trial. This analysis compared ducravacitinib versus placebo on PSED 12 and PSED 9 responses and assessed the relationships between PSED scores and clinical and patient reordered outcomes in PSA patients. The key results were that adjusted mean changes in PSED at week 16 were significantly greater in ducravacitinib groups versus placebo. Significant improvements with ducravacitinib were also observed in those with PRO, LDA, or PASA 75 responses. In contrast, adjusted mean changes were generally similar with ducravacitinib versus placebo in non-responders. Spearman correlation analysis revealed significant correlations at baseline and week 16 between PSED scores and clinical and PRO measures with a p-value of less than 0.0001. So in summary, PSET scores were significantly improved with ducravacitinib versus placebo, and PSET detected additional improvements among responders from multiple other PROs and clinical outcomes. There was also a strong focus on ankylosing spondylitis today. I have picked out four key abstracts, which particularly caught my eye. A report from Vander Heiden and their colleagues discussed a two-year open-label extension of a 14-week clinical trial of apatacitinib in patients with active AS. The rate of radiographic progression amongst the patients on 15 milligrams once daily upadacitinib was presented along with a discussion on safety findings. This is abstract 0924 presented on Sunday, efficacy and safety of upadacitinib in patients with active ankylosing spondylitis, two-year results from a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study with open-label extension. So select axis one included a placebo-controlled 14-week period followed by a 90-week uh, open-label extension. Patients were randomized to UPA 15 milligrams once daily or placebo. At week 14, UPA continued and placebo was switched to UPA. The objective of this long-term analysis was to report safety and efficacy in active AS through two years. Key results are that the ASAS-40 response, the MRI, SPART, spine, and SI joint scores were maintained through two years for continuous UPA. Similar results were observed among those switched from placebo to UPA at week 14. Overall, UPA treatment emergent adverse event rate was 242.7 per 100 patient years with no serious infections, active TB, adjudicated MACE, Lymphova, lymphoma, non-melanoma skin cancer, renal dysfunction, or GI perforations observed. Five, that is 1.6 per 100 patient year, non-serious herpes zoster infections, and 35, 
or 11.3 per 100 patient year, CPK elevations were observed throughout the two years with UPA. So in summary, a low rate of radiographic progression was observed based on spinal radiographs and no new safety findings were observed. Continuing with the AS theme, a phase two study in AS patients by Maximowicz and colleagues examined the impact of filgotinib on circulating serum and plasma biomarkers and evaluated filgotinib efficacy at 12 weeks. The levels of several biomarkers were presented along with a discussion on how these correlated to disease activity and clinical characteristics. This is abstract 0928 presented on Sunday. Filgotinib treatment results in reduction of inflammatory and matrix remodeling biomarkers associated with disease in patients with ankylosing spondylitis. So Tortuga was a 12-week randomized double-blind placebo-controlled phase two study of filgotinib 200 milligrams in ankylosing spondylitis. Serum and plasma samples were collected at baseline and weeks one, four, and 12 to assess the impact of disease on circulating biomarkers at baseline and evaluate the effect of filgotinib treatment over 12 weeks. So the key results are that five clusters of biomarker response were identified based on kinetics and magnitude of change from baseline. As compared to placebo, a reduction in CRP, SAA, and IL-6 was observed, as well as a reduction in matrix metalloproteinase degraded collagen fragments, C1M, C3M, C6M, and MMP1. The change in several biomarkers correlated with changes in numerous clinical characteristics from baseline to week 12. So in summary, the biomarker decrease is consistent with reduced disease activity in Tortuga and suggests filgotinib can rapidly reduce a range of inflammatory cytokines involved in AS pathobiology. Moving on from clinical trial data, I will now focus on an interesting study examining potential factors which could predict favorable responses to treatments. McGray and their team conducted a post-hoc analysis of a one-year study, bupatacitinib in active AS patients, to examine potential predictors of favorable responses. Demographical data, as well as baseline and week 12 biomarker levels were analyzed and correlations with one-year outcomes were discussed. This is abstract 0926 presented on Sunday. Predictors of one-year treatment response among eupatacitinib-treated patients with ankylosing spondylitis, a post-hoc analysis. Select axis one included a placebo-controlled 14-week period followed by a 90-week open-label extension. Patients were randomized to UPA 15 milligrams once daily or placebo. At week 14, UPA continued and placebo was switched to UPA. This analysis determined whether baseline characteristics or early responses predict clinical response at one year in AS. So the key results were that no meaningful predictors of one-year efficacy outcomes were identified based on baseline demographics or baseline disease characteristics. Week 12 responses based on disease activity measures and PROs were associated with achievement of inactive disease, low disease activity, partial response, and ASAS 40 
at one year. Improvement to week 12 in back pain score consistently predicted several efficacy outcomes at one year. So in summary, in UPA treated patients with AS, improvements in patient reported outcomes and reduction in back pain score at 12 weeks predicted clinical outcomes at one year. The final highlight of the day features the exciting first-time description of the inflammation status of biodemard-naive patients treated with tofacitinib. The team of Ostegard described Canden MRI data showing detailed inflammation data for posterior lateral elements of the spine and the facet joints in patients on tofacitinib compared to placebo. This is abstract 0930 presented on Sunday, effect of tofacitinib on spinal vertebral body and posterior lateral element inflammation and structural lesions using the Canada-Denmark MRI scoring system in patients with ankylosing spondylitis results from a phase two study. So the Canden MRI system enables detailed anatomy-based evaluation of inflammatory and structural lesions in spinal vertebral bodies and posterior elements in AS. In a phase two study, biodemard-naive patients were randomized to TOFA 2, 5, or 10 milligrams twice daily, or placebo, and MRI data evaluated for 137 patients. The key results are that at week 12, significantly greater reductions were seen in the pooled TOFA group versus placebo for total Canden spine inflammation score, vertebral body, posterior elements, facet joint, corner, non-corner, and posterior lateral inflammation subscores. Similar reductions were seen in TOFA 5 or 10 milligrams twice daily groups versus placebo. A numerically greater increase in total spine fat score was seen in pooled tofacitinib. TOFA reduced inflammation in the posterior lateral elements of the spine and the facet joints, which has not been described previously. And that wraps up our highlights for day two of ACR 2021. Don't forget that you can download our highlights brochures to see the abstracts we've selected for the whole of the Congress. You can also watch yesterday's highlights from Professor Leonard Calabrese, who will be back tomorrow to take you through his top picks from day three. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you've enjoyed this roundup of day two of ACR 2021.